Hey Lighthouse, it's good to see you or listen to you or have you listen to us or however this is happening in <laughs> podcast land on a Friday afternoon. Dude, Hope you're enjoying your day. That was deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah. When I'm in a deep place, it's usually not that I've had a good thought. It's usually I've said something dumb and need a shovel. A <laughs> rule at my house we talk about all the time is if you find yourself in a hole, stop, stop digging. digging. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, had the first men's prayer on Thursday morning this morning mm -hmm. was awesome, man. Just to be in the sanctuary, you know, we, we talk an awful lot about like the churches and a building, it's the people and mm. there's nothing necessarily special or sacred. Like the, our sanctuary is not the temple. Yeah. At the same time, early and cold on a Thursday <laughs> morning at 6.30. And it wasn't that cold in the sanctuary. It was really comfortable, more than I thought, mm. which was which was neat. Just to be in there with a few gathered guys kind of spread out, just laboring in prayer, you know, mm. just so meaningful. If you're, uh, if you're interested in that, I would really encourage you, just stop in between 6.30 and 7.30. You know, we prayed alone a little bit. We prayed together a little bit. Mm. Um, there were some notes written on a whiteboard like hey if you're trying to figure out what to pray for here's some ideas have the ability to just write prayer requests on the whiteboard if you want but it's not wasn't a social hour but mm -hmm. you know you, you leave feeling connected to those men yeah and that's that's really really great um so i appreciated that a lot i enjoyed that a lot looking forward to that just kind of being a regular part you know even just the discipline of silence just yeah. sitting still is so important and 6 is early it's not that early you know this is mm. not four in the morning and yeah. so i was even like more awake than i thought i was going to be you know and and um you know when i the church i went to when i was in high school did a prayer time in the mornings and there was a guy i think his name was gary weeks have i told you the story before about him i don't think so I, well, I think I've told you a story about him settling next to me and going, hey, is this where they keep the long hairs? Oh, yeah. And I was like all grunged out and <laughs> down my back and stuff. And just really kind of for no other reason other than just he kind of thought I didn't have anybody hang out with at church, kind of befriended me. And he was like, hey, you ought to come and pray with us. And mm. so for a chunk of high school, it's funny, I kind of forgotten about that. For, for a good chunk of high school, I showed up early to pray mm. um, just with a very small group of people, sometimes two or three. And... I remember um, bringing friends sometimes, like just, yeah. hey, you want to come to this thing? And I wasn't always serious about the Lord. It wasn't like I was a really mature young man. I just, this guy had invited me and mm -hmm. it was meaningful. Like, And I knew also if I wasn't there, he's going to find me on Sunday morning and <laughs> not not be mean, but say, hey. He's going to ask you get where you there. were. <laughs> yep. That's right. I know yep. you didn't have anything else to do at 630 in the morning. So that was really that was really meaningful. I appreciated that this morning. And um, women's dinner's coming up. That's mm -hmm. that's gonna be fun. Um, we're doing this like sending a selfie thing. You know, we we're a little church, and still you go, who are the, who's that family? Yeah, or whatever. Um, and face so to the name. yeah, to be able to put a face to the name, and we'll be responsible. We won't post any of the pictures on Facebook or Instagram or anything. But um, but just for our our picture directory for staff and whoever wants one or whatever, it, it's helpful. So if you, if you have a selfie to send in, um, sillier pictures are probably preferred. <laughs> um, I imagine too, if you wanted to make an appointment with Patrick Cox sitting mm -hmm. across from me to get your picture snapped for the, for, <laughs> for the, the bulletin or for the directory probably could. Yep. 
You do some picture taking. I do. I do. I'm working on, on building that up a little bit. You're like a Renaissance man. You do like a lot <laughs> of different kinds of things. I, yeah, I have trouble focusing on one thing. Yeah. You know, but I enjoy always, doing several. <laughs> that's why, you know, that's why youth ministry was a good fit for me. And it's why being at a smaller church is a good fit for me. I felt if I was, mm. you know, I love playing on the worship team. Yeah. And I really like hanging out with the youth a little bit. And I, I like, you know, having, I don't think it's that I'm controlling. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe I should pray through that one. But, um, but uh, yeah, like the, the sanctified attention deficit <laughs> is yes. fine. You know, it's good to, to do that. So yeah, that's good. S-A-D-D. You've Sad. Been, yeah, that's right. I always say I don't have ADD. Uh, I just have H. Mm. I'm just hyperactive. I yeah. can concentrate on stuff. I just can't sit still. Yeah. Um, which is a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So today we have my dad. Yep. On the podcast, <laughs> Larry Gene Combs, born Ventura, California, raised Bakersfield, California, raised a knucklehead for a son. Mm. Um, <laughs> so fun, you know, even just praying with dad this morning and, um, you know, dad leads the hymns around here mm-hmm. just to be in ministry with your old man. You know, like it's just yeah. it's just a blessing. I, I'm just really mindful that this is a sweet season that we get to be, you know, in the same church and and, uh, you know, and, and, and just kind of doing life together. It's a lot of fun. There's so many stories that dad tells that I, you know, for time we have to you can only tell so many stories, but there's some that <laughs> that I I. I He's a storyteller. Dad's always told good stories, and I hope you enjoy listening to this. One story that he didn't really tell, and maybe that's more my story than his. Um, You know, he was like a legit, like touring around singer. Yeah, in his in his early twenties, and uh, was in. Oh gosh, what's? uh, I'll think of it here in a minute. It's embarrassing. He he was in. (laughs) He was in a group that was kind of four freshmen, like. Mm-hmm. tight harmony kind of stuff in the, in the late sixties, early seventies. And, um, one of the funnest times in, in my life was one, I think Christmas I found, I found something, I found some promotional headshots or something that this, mm. that this band <laughs> in air quotes had, had, had taken and it was like, oh my gosh, my dad was my age when these things were happening. I was yep. in my early 20s when I found him. So I sent away, uh, I found all these guys' phone numbers somehow. I think through mm. Southern California College, I figured out okay. where all these guys were living. And I sent away um, uh, the Regents. This the Regents. Was the name okay, of the, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I sent away with this promotional picture and said, hey, would you guys sign this? And so mm. I can give it to my dad for Christmas, like yeah. all of his old, you know, bandos. And um, and at the time I was in a band, yeah. but not like the Regents. You know what no, I mean? Like were... we're playing like punk clubs and Irish bars and stuff. And, <laughs> and dad was like touring the country, playing assemblies of God camps and, and <laughs> revivals and stuff. So one of these guys who lived in Oregon, he uh, he called me or wrote me back or whatever and said, yeah, I'm happy to sign this, but do you want more stuff like this? And I said, yes, yes. <laughs> I do. And so he sent a lot of pictures in different like seasons of the band. And it That's was awesome. so much fun. So because of that, 
I, I gave that to dad, just a picture. And I wrote him a little thing and whatever. And, and, um, and I think maybe even one of, one of these guys had a recording or two and, um, and I had grown up hearing my dad saying it wasn't a secret to me that dad has a, you know, a plus voice. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, so as a part of this, it just so happened that Vanguard university, which had been Southern California college where dad and I both went, um, was having like a 50th anniversary or a i don't know what it was 75th it was a class reunion i thought it was but it was some like it wasn't a class reunion it was like okay. a celebration of the history of the school okay and and somehow we rallied like four of the five of these guys mm. and the regents put on a show that's awesome and i got <laughs> to sit like in the second row and talk about piano playing this guy named eddie yeah eddie samuels he's uh um just an unassuming dude, just normal looking. I think he's an Indian in nationality and, mm-hmm. and, um, sweetheart of a guy, you know, plays piano at church where, and he gets on the piano and it's like <laughs> stuff is happening and these harmonies are coming out. And it's not that you, that it, it's not that I, like I said, I'd always seen dad perform and, and sing, but, but, um, getting to see him with his college friends yeah, was cool. <laughs> it was, it was really, really cool. <laughs> Um, every time I tell that story, I go, man, I've got my old bandmates numbers. We not, we we need to figure out a way to get together and jam a little bit before one of us dies. Uh, (laughs) won't be Uh, Joe, 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 the bass player is the healthy one. He's, he's, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. (laughs) Before I die. Let's be be honest about it. Joe's fine. Joe's all right. Um, but lots of good stories like that. You know, uh, some of these, you know, some of the things growing up with dad, um, he alluded to this story, but dad was an excellent umpire mm. and was kind of climbing the umpire ranks and, uh, stopped, you know, for family and career and whatever. Well, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I was young. I didn't know why I stopped and asked my dad, why are you doing this? <laughs> um, but when I was in high school, we're sitting at an angel game and just, you know, a classic angel, like day game, there's, it, it seats 65,000 people or 45,000 people. And there's, 3000 people in yeah. the stands or whatever, you know, like, no way so, there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we're sitting, sitting halfway up the lower deck and just shooting the breeze and being guys out in the sun. And, and, um, and I just kind of offhandedly say, dude, you should have kept umpiring. It'd be pretty cool to hang out with all these baseball players. And he said, just without even thinking about it said, I decided I'd rather hang out with you. Mm. I mean, <laughs> that you want to know how to be a dad. That's it. Right. There. That's how to be a dad. <laughs> exactly. Just do that. Um, so I'm, you know, looking forward to you guys getting to, it's a good, it's a pretty good interview. Oh, uh, it's a lot of fun. I do need to explain, there is a sophisticated voice that you're going to hear a few times. It wasn't, <laughs> yes. it wasn't planned, but I also thought, yeah, that might, it's that coming might, out. it might happen because every time dad and I have a conversation, it does. So dad's college friends started this little voice okay. that, and I don't know why. So dad had two college friends, both named Jerry. One was a huge mountain of a man. One was not a huge mountain of a man. (laughs) They played sports together and it was just big Jerry and little Jerry. Like when I was growing up, that's what these guys were referred. They were like characters in my dad's stories. And especially little Jerry, um, is, is a funny guy. And I've met him several times. And, uh, and so they do this, this, so, so the word they're they're saying is sophisticated. Yeah, it's the sophisticated voice, but it comes out sophisticated. <laughs> and and it 
you can say the dumbest stuff in that voice and it's not that it's funny it's just that everybody's laughing yeah pretty <laughs> much so, pretty much and so uh so that's what's happening when you hear that part of the interview other than that i hope uh hope you get a good <laughs> chance to know my old man a little bit and and give him a high five and uh and a hug at church and uh, you know ask him for Ask him if he's got any, you know, where you download a Regents album. Yeah. I think they might be out there somewhere. Um, okay. Did we cover it all? Yep. All right. Not Regents music, but still, Pat, roll <laughs> the music. Will do. We're not recording, are we? We are. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, what's going on, Pop? Not much. You good? I'm good. I've been looking forward to this. This is fun. In fact, the difficulty of this podcast will be not two things. First of all, not just making this about like uh, me and just tell me stories about Grandpa and stuff like that, which I, I want to do for private use at some point. But also, I think. Um, you and I don't ever spend an hour talking together where we don't horse around <laughs> an awful lot. Is this a time to be serious? Or? <laughs> I don't no. know. We can be whatever we want to be. All right. That's whatever happens. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you good today? I'm good. I'm good. I feel good. Good. Um, so before we're done, we need to talk about baseball. We need to talk about music. We need to talk about Bakersfield. What else do we need to cover? Um... This is your show. I don't know what you want to cover. <laughs> we, we need to be careful so they don't learn too much about us so we get to stay at church. <laughs> That's right. There's some stories we might have to stay away from. Well, yeah. then why don't we start at the beginning? You are from Bakersfield, but you weren't born there. That's the that's the big secret. It is a secret. I was born in Ventura, mm-hmm. and we moved to Bakersfield when I was uh, three years old. So how much do you identify? You definitely identify with Bakersfield. How much do you identify with Missouri? That's where Grandma and Grandpa were born and from well i identify with missouri because i like family heritage yeah and i like family roots and i like family history and that's why you've been to missouri yeah and i have been to missouri after my dad passed away probably five times Mm. visiting with my uncles and my aunts and seeing the old combs place and uh so it's all important to me isn't that amazing that one like old combs homestead that uh, they have like old license plates for flashing in the corners. And when I was there, I mean, it's a, how big is that place? It's 500 square feet, probably 500 square feet, but it was on about 300 acres of land. Yeah. Um, when I was there, there were like mud daubers. Is that what they call those black wasp things? that looks like they could carry off a dog if yeah, they wanted to. Those, those aren't your problem. It's the chiggers that'll get you. Oof, I don't want, I'm a, <laughs> I like staying by the coast where yes, absolutely <laughs> true. bugs are less. Um, so grandma and grandpa both grew up in Missouri. Bolivar, Missouri. Both of them in Bolivar. Both of them in Bolivar. Dad, uh, uh, mom rather was uh, in West Plains, Missouri until she was a mid teenager and then mm-hmm. she moved to Bolivar, but they met in Bolivar. It's funny when you, White Plains, is it? that you West Plains. West Plains. When you're driving through there, there's like Combs Hardware and Combs stuff. Like that's apparently a pretty popular name. Or, it's a, uh, there's, yeah. That's where our people are. Those are our roots. Yeah. You know. Um, so grandma and grandpa grew up like in the Depression. They were both children of the Depression, correct. They yeah. both lived on farms. They both had 
they were each part of 10 kids, families with uh, single parents. Hmm. So they had a really tough growing up. And they had very different experiences because grandma, we were just talking with Carol Hayes, and this is what, what happened with her folks too, is in the Depression they were farmed out. And grandma ended up like traveling or... Grandma was... Uh, your grandmother was picked by a lady who loved to travel and buy clothes and go on train rides. Uh-huh. Turns out, if you look at Combs' family history, she was her parents were one of the real original founders of Rolaid Mints or whatever okay. you call them. So yeah. mom had the job of riding with her, going to Springfield to shop and that kind of stuff, and that was her, that was her job. While the rest of the girls were cleaning houses, pulling weeds, and... Yeah. Uh, so mom wasn't the most popular girl in the family. That engendered some kind of resentment from her siblings. Yeah, until the day they all died, that resentment was still there. Huh. So grandma like was kind of hit by the depression in that she wasn't at home with her mom, but but she kind of got lucky in where she got farmed out too. Yeah, she did. But all of the kids were really loyal to their mom. Whatever mm-hmm. they did, whatever they made, they... They gave to grandma and they took care of her because she was a single parent. Uh, my grandfather I never met. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he got These sick. These are the Neils. These are the Neils. Yeah. Neils and the Combs. So right? he got sick when? Or uh, he got sick when uh, when my mom was six seven years old. Huh. She has very few memories of him. Huh. So. Wow, Grandma Neil, strong woman. Tough lady. Yeah. Chew tobacco spit, chew tobacco spit, tough lady. Yeah. My, some of my favorite stories are she ended up in Bakersfield too, and you would go over. Yeah, she got sick, and uh, she was living by my aunt and ticked off my mom. So <laughs> mom moved her to Bakersfield close to us, and my uh-huh. parents bought her a small little house. Yeah. So Saturday nights, I would go over to grandma's and watch uh, wrestling. <laughs> she liked she liked Freddie Blassie and the wrestlers. Yeah. Gorgeous and, George. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And so she had a little spit tune can right by her chair, and she would, she would chew and spit. And yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, you know, she was a tough, tough lady. Yeah. And then Grandpa, um, your dad, grew up on the farm. Yeah, Poppy didn't farm his boys out. Poppy mm-hmm. used the boys on the farm. Mm-hmm. And um, when Poppy lost his farm because he couldn't come up with $300 worth of taxes, the boys were uh, in high school. Yeah and eligible for military service. And yeah. so my dad and his two brothers joined the service and sent all their money home to Poppy so he could buy a new farm. I've seen, mm-hmm. well, first of all, like let's spend a minute to say lost 300 acres over a matter of 300 bucks. $300. Yeah, that's just crazy. Like that, and that was the depression, right? That, was ha- that wasn't a tip, that was a very typical story. It was happening all over. Right, they were just, it was a tough time. And I've seen the, the newspaper article about the three Combs boys who went to France. So not only did they join together, but grandpa and uncle Joe and uncle Lloyd, uncle Lloyd, there you go. Um, all kind of went to France. They went to France. They were in different branches of the service, but they were all there at the same time. Yeah. Uh, dad, dad always talks about how he just worshiped MacArthur fighting under him and that kind of stuff. Uh, and the rest of the boys just, he said they just sailed around on ships. They didn't do anything important. <laughs> and he he was a mechanic? Mechanic. Well, in the Army, he was a, a military uh, ammunition driver. So he, right. he drove the uh, trucks to the front line. If they broke down, he fixed them and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, he was a mechanic. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, 
one of the things I want to know when I get to heaven, if it's actually true or not, as you know, I mean, I was seven when grandpa died. Seven years old. And um, so I just have these few really special memories. And one of them is him saying that he was driving an ammunition truck and a bullet went between his legs and he jumped out and the truck blew up. And I, I mean, that sounds like something that happened in a movie, but it also could have really happened. And I, I don't know what he was telling his, you know, five-year-old grandson. So I'd well, love to know what that story was. Dad was pretty much whatever the real truth was, the real truth was. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he also tried to get me to drink buttermilk. So well, <laughs> that was rough. Yeah, buttermilk and cornbread and yeah. liver and onions were his favorite. Yeah. Um, so I after, know, know. so how do you get from, how did they get from Missouri to, did they go to Ventura first or Bakersfield first? Well, Dad was in the Army and he was in uh, World War II. So Mom and moved to Ventura where her sisters lived. Okay. When uh, Dad asked Mom to marry him, she said, I'll marry you, but I won't be a farmer. Huh. And so uh, she hated the farm. And so he, she convinced him to leave his dad, which I can't believe she did that, uh-huh. to leave his dad and come to California with her sisters. Okay. So she was living with her sisters in Ventura. In Ventura. Until Dad came home, yeah. And she was working in, uh, like she was a very real-life Rosie the Riveter, was working in a factory making something. Uh, they were making bolts for mm-hmm. airplanes and fasteners for airplanes for the war. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She and her, she and her sisters in Ventura. Yeah, Ventura and Santa Paula, that area. Yeah. Okay. So, Grandpa, World War Two ends. He comes home from the war. Um, he and my uncle bought a gas station. Dad was a mechanic and. Um, but they found out they weren't making much money on that. Where was that? That was in Ventura. Okay, in Ventura. And then uh, he got an offer to work in the oil fields, so he took a job in Bakersfield, California. And he, I always, one of my favorite stories is he came, how did he get home from the war? He came home on the Queen Mary. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember walking around that, just taking tours when it was in Long Beach or San Pedro or wherever it was, and going, man, they fit a lot of dudes. on. This was not built to transport troops but they put a lot of dudes on this and it's kind of cool to think about grandpa coming home on that yeah well i don't remember what birthday it was of his but i was homesick to see him of course he'd already been with the lord so uh your mom and i spent a weekend on the queen mary Mm. we rented rooms there and we just walked around and had a kind of walked down memory row you know yeah Mm -hmm. think about all those young men coming home to to their Young wives, right, who they hadn't spent much time with. So did they get married when he was in the Army, or was it after? Oh, no. My mom insisted that uh, they marry before he goes. Okay. So they got married, then he took off. Got married at the county seat in Bolivar, Missouri. Oh, funny. Not a church Hmm. wedding. No. Okay. There was no money for church weddings. Sure. They, I bet they had to scrape up the 5 or $6 for their license in those days. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. So Grandpa got a job working for B.J. Hughes. Correct. In the oil fields. If, Correct. If, you, if any of you have driven by Lost Hills and seen all those oil rigs going up and down, Grandpa was fixing those. Uh, yeah, it probably worked on 90% of those, I would guess. Yeah. And so then you were born in Ventura but moved to Bakersfield at what age? Three years old. Three. All right. You got any memories of Ventura? No. No. Yeah, it's probably not. No. Um, so what was growing up in Bakersfield like? Hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people ask me all the time, how could you stand it? But it was home. Yeah. I had loving parents. I had a great home life. Yeah. I, um, it was home for me. And I just I don't have any negative thoughts about growing up in Bakersfield whatsoever. 
Yeah, and it was very much like, especially in that, like Grandma and Grandpa really are part of that Dust Bowl generation who who kind of came out and settled the Central Valley and started farming it and digging for oil and all that stuff. And um, and so you were probably a pretty typical family there. A lot of families had been from the Midwest somewhere. Yeah, I always say that Oklahoma and Missouri took Bakersfield without a shot. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like they were one thing Bakersfield had was oil and land. Yeah. And not expensive land. And so yeah. it made it possible for people who were trying to get back on their feet to uh, do that. Yeah. And so and the oil business was strong there and it was security work for dad. He worked so many hours, yeah. but uh, it was secure for him and uh, he wanted to work so mom could stay home with us and and he worked hard, so the oil fields allowed him to do that. Good with a wrench. He was just a smart guy. You know, yeah. it's a shame he never had a chance to graduate from high school because he was just brilliant. But um, with the oil business, he designed pumps, he built pumps, he tore them down, put them back up, he poured concrete down wells. He, he did it all. Yeah. And uh, the average Joe couldn't have done that. Yeah, that's right. And kind of worked his way up in B.J. Hughes, or uh, he worked. He started as a what they call a bulk driver, which takes cement out to the oil wells. And uh, when he passed away, he was running an entire division back mm -hmm. in Ventura. He moved back to Ventura mm -hmm. and started running that entire division. So yeah, he worked his way up to almost the top. That may, those might be my first memories is them in Ventura, and yeah, doing that. Yeah, you were six or seven years old when he went back to Ventura and. Uh, well, I had to be a little younger than that because he maybe, passed away yeah. at seven. So, but it, maybe it, they hadn't been there that long. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe two or three years. Yeah, you're probably right. You were younger. Yeah, um, and what a gentle guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a very gentle, strong giant. I called him. Yeah, um, not a big man, like five he, nine. He claimed six foot, but I don't think he ever made it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, he was probably right around six foot slender built yeah i have you know with most people i'm just like finding out all this stuff but i might ask you some questions like hey tell that story because i love that story so so he was you're a you're a big dude big strong guy athlete sports all that stuff and grandpa was not a huge man and whatever and so tell a story about you mouthing off when you came home from college oh <laughs> well you know, if of anything dad ever did, he protected mom all the time. Yeah. And so mom was a redhead. I was a redhead. And we yeah. both had quick tempers. Yeah. Um, she put me in my place one time and I talked back to her. Yeah. And you're 20 at this point or something. I'm 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So dad said, okay, I've been waiting for this day. And he brought me boxing gloves. Mm -hmm. I said, what are you doing? He goes, let's go out back. It's time for, I, for me to teach you a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I said, dad, you're going to get hurt. He yeah. goes, let's just try this. So we went out back, and after he proceeded just to tear me apart, <laughs> yeah. he told me one thing I never told you because I knew you're a big guy, but I was golden gloves in the army. <laughs> mm. I, didn't, I didn't know that. I love that. Like he's waiting his whole life to be like this kid doesn't he's, know I was a golden gloves you know, champion in the army. I, I think he, I think he knew when I was six or seven years old I was going to be mouthy, and so <laughs> yeah. I was At more some like point. I was more like mom than him, and he yeah. was going to, have to put me in my place. And boy, he did. He was waiting. Yeah, I love that. Can you I imagine wish... all those years built up to that moment? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yes. He took me apart. So, um, so growing up in Bakersfield, good friends in the neighborhood. We, um, you know, the funny story is we, we lived in a trailer when we were younger. Okay. 
And uh, my mom got mad about the trailer. It was just after my brother was born, too small. So mom went out and bought a house and didn't tell dad till after the house was <laughs> through escrow. Yeah. And so uh, we lived in that house till they moved to Ventura till I went to college. And mm. yeah, that was home. And uh, when I go to Shalimar Baker, Drive, Shalimar Drive. When I go to Bakersfield now, my sister has to we have to drive by that house every time. It, it it was a pretty cool spot though. Is it right across from the junior high or the high school? Elementary school. The elementary school. Yeah. Yep. So right there in a very just kind of working class neighborhood. Middle class neighborhood at that time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But we lived there for years and uh, the house got small. So my dad built a room addition on the back for my brother and I. And mm -hmm. it was great. At, at some point, you and Uncle Steve had to put a piece of tape down the middle. No, that wasn't <laughs> Uncle Steve. That was me. Uh, yeah. He was you messy. Huh? <laughs> Dude, he was messy. Yeah. And so I put a piece of tape down the middle of the room and said, look, you keep your stuff on that side and I'll keep my stuff on this side. He goes, but the bathroom's on your side. And I said, you should have thought of that before you became a pig. So, yeah, I put a piece of tape right down the middle of the room. I, I got to tell you, it didn't set well with your grandmother. Is so, that right? No. Yeah, she didn't like that? That's well, surprising. she No, Stephen was her little... Yeah, he's, he's going to listen to this, so go ahead. That's fine. He was the youngest. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. He knows. He's seven years younger than you. Seven. And then Aunt Pat is... Three. Three years younger. So you're the oldest of three. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, what'd you do growing up? Um, what were you involved with? A lot of sports. A lot of sports. Yeah. At 10 years old, I organized a, uh, bas a, a football league within yeah. our neighborhood because I was too young. Mom didn't have the money for us to play pop warner and all that it wasn't popular in those days so yeah. i created a team called the blue jays we all brought our own uniforms we played different neighborhoods so football and little league baseball from the time i can remember mm -hmm. and then i played high school ball and then college ball of course but baseball mm -hmm. was my love yeah a lot as, of baseball as it should be and then a lot of barbershop singing we had a barbershop group in college mm -hmm. and i sang at bakersfield junior college had a group called the madrigals we did a lot of latin french foreign you know german songs that mm. we travel around the state singing mm. a select group of 12 voices so did a lot of singing is that where most of your friends came from was sports and music yeah well church too i mean we had a lot of we were active in our local church and we had uh, friends from there and uh, i didn't really the friends from the sports and the friends from the church didn't really mix <laughs> you know yeah yeah <laughs> You got one guy with saying one set of language on the sports field and yeah. another one at church. So it didn't really mix. Yeah. But I could identify with either one of them, so it was fine. Yeah, that's always kind of been, I, I think that's a Combs trait. That's always kind of been true of you, and I think it's a little true of me, that kind of comfortable in a lot of different settings, like happy to be on a job site, also happy to be, you know. Well, the key to that is don't put yourself in a setting that you can't enjoy, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. So successful athletic career in high school, enjoyed that? Uh, yeah, I played uh, varsity ball for three years. As a sophomore, I played varsity ball, and mm -hmm. I threw one no-hitter, which I was happy about. The only game my dad ever saw me pitch because mm. he was always working, so I mm. threw one no-hitter. Um, had over how, three, 300 batting average in college, uh, high school. How did the first batter go on that no-hitter? I'm not sure where he is today, but my <laughs> curveball didn't curve. yeah. You know, I, I I'm thinking I'm going to start this guy with a curveball because he's looking fastball. Yeah, and it pitch did, backwards. Yeah. Yeah, and it didn't work. It hit him right in the head. And you know, the guy went down to his knees. They carried him off on a stretcher. And my curveball was so effective the rest of the day. Yeah. It was just amazing. <laughs> That's a great way to throw a no hitter. 
being the first guy. The coach asked me afterwards, is that my plan? I said, no, I wouldn't no. want to hit anybody in the head. I was yeah. aiming for the shoulder. <laughs> so. That's cool. How did you, you have a, so you were, you were, are a excellent athlete. That's always been part of uh, like a great arm, eye hand coordination, all that stuff. R doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but you also have a like kind of one in a million voice. Like a lot of people can sing, but you have a real gift. When did you figure that out? Uh, I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. Believe this or not. You know, I was always a shy kid. I didn't want people didn't want people's attention. I didn't want any of that stuff. I just wanted to be left alone to do my thing. And then um, there was a men's choir mm-hmm. generated in my sophomore year in high school, and I joined because I thought it would be an easy credit because mm-hmm. I I wanted easy classes to keep my GPA up. That's right. So, stay on the field so I could stay playing baseball. <laughs> yeah, it was right. one goal, right? Yeah. So I got in. I tried out, and uh, the choir's director was name was robert petker and uh, he said i want you to try this one solo and i said i don't do solos he's try one solo so i tried one solo for school play and been singing ever since yeah so i wouldn't sing in church uh, my mom was upset that i wouldn't do that but after i started the men's course and i started singing in church and in high school yeah yeah singing in the church choir never never could get into the church choir type music you know just mm. um so, but I started singing after I started singing in high school. So what music were you into? Um, I was country. Yeah. You know, we Bakersfield. Yeah. Well, we should talk about that because like in my generation, it was like the, you know, punk and grunge stuff from Seattle or like the, like the college rock stuff in Athens, Georgia or whatever, or the LA punk thing. But the Bakersfield sound was a real thing. And you were growing up right as the Bakersfield sound is really finding itself. And that was, that was a force in country music. It really, it really was and is, but along with that, I mean, the Beatles came. Yeah. The Beatles came to the Ed Sullivan show. And um, I can remember like it was yesterday watching the TV, them getting off the plane. Yeah. So the Beatles were a big deal. So both of those things are happening musically. Right. And there's a real, like, I always think in, like, me raising kids, there's almost no culture gap. Like, Emily and I go to shows together. Mm -hmm. Like, my kids, uh, you know, we like the same kind of music. But that wasn't true of you and your parents. Like, it it was, that was a little rougher that there was a generation gap. So is, how's grandma feeling about the Beatles? (laughs) Is, I guess, my question. Well, she thought they were uh, very sinful. Yeah. Uh, in fact, which is probably right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I asked her to stay home and watch them. It was church night, Ed Sullivan show. Oh yeah. And she said, "You're not staying home to watch that stuff. You're going to be in church." And so I went to my dad and I said, "Dad, I did the typical kid yeah, thing." Yeah. Yeah. And Dad said, "Sure, you can." And I said, "Well, our mom already said no." He goes, "I'll handle her." Yeah. I don't know what he did. Yeah. Don't Called care what he did. Huh? Called in a lot of chips. He might have. Yeah. But uh, I got to stay home and watch him. But mom was not in favor of it. Yeah. So the Bakersfield sound is like, I guess Buck Owens is the... Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard. Buck Owens. Yeah. Those are giants. They are. And Buck Owens, is he still around? No. No. But he, I mean, his influence looms large in Bakersfield still. Yeah. He's, he's got Owens. streets named after him yeah. there and a hotel named after him and that kind of stuff. So Aunt Pat worked for Buck Owens for a while. Yeah. He, um, yeah, she worked for him for three years. Yeah. 
Christmas was a big deal for him huh. because he had to give all three ex-wives new Mercedes every that Christmas. That is hard, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's difficult. That was a big deal for him. Yeah. yeah, well, you better be successful if you're buying three Mercedes every Christmas. He seemed to do it. Yeah, well, good for him. Yeah. Proud of him. Way to go, Buck. <laughs> um, but, you know, country music identified with the Depression era, too. I mean, that and church music is really what people hung to. Yeah. You know, they, they cling to hope. They cling to something new. They cling to what the songs had to say. And the mm-hmm. songs identified with their lifestyle. That's right. It was more than just country music. It was a way of living for those folks. Yeah. They're, right. The, like the honky-tonk was a place to not just do, you know, debauched things, but also a place to connect with your neighbors and and like a community center. Of That's sorts. correct. Yeah. yeah. It, and, gave, it gave them relief from the pain they were in. Yeah, yeah, and while well, your parent, your like you weren't raised in the depression, that was your parents, but those scars were still there. Like you, like probably most people in your neighborhood were being raised by people who had survived the depression and were hardworking folk. Children of the depression, yeah, children of the depression were probably more worried about their financial status than my generation. Right. My parents worked hard. Um, Dad was always afraid they were going to be in debt because he saw Poppy lose his farm. Mm. Those scars hang around for a long time. When you're when you're a kid and you watch your parents walk away from their home because yeah. they can't pay for it, yeah, those are big scars. And Dad always worried about that. And that's why he worked so hard. Yeah, yeah. So one of the questions um, we always ask on the podcast is, "Did you drive a car in high school?" I did. What was uh, what kind of car? Nineteen fifty six Ford Fairlane five hundred. Mm. I how did I not know that? That is not what I expected. For nineteen fifty six Ford Fair. Do you know there's a Ford Fairlane for sale up here by Mel's Market? Is it really what? What I color don't know. is it? It's off white or something. Um, I yeah, you should go buy. That might be. <laughs> this might be the Lord telling you. Well, I'm more interested in my second car. Does that look about right? That's it. Yeah? Is that it? That's the car for sale? No, no, no. This I just Googled for 1956 Ford Fairlane. So that's that's, that's what yours look like. Yeah. I think, that's, I think the one for sale is a bit um, newer. I think it's this mid-60s. In right? the 60s? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about Ford Fairlanes. I don't know when, when they were making those. Um, you like that car? I loved it. Yeah. Well, you missed your first car. Yeah. And you could go someplace by yourself. Yeah. You know, so I loved it. And I didn't pick it out. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad and I had an agreement that if I earned half the money for a car, he would come up with the other half. Yeah. So I took a job at farm labor, picking plums, cutting grapes, worked summer, worked during holidays and all that stuff. And I came home one day from working in the farms and this car sitting in the front. <laughs> this, yeah. And dad had found it. It was clean. It was spotless. It was... I thought, gosh, we're having company. And then Dad walked in, and he stuttered a little bit when he yeah. got nervous. He yeah. goes, did you see the car? And I said, yeah, I saw the car. He goes, you will want the keys? <laughs> yes, yes, Dad. I I yes, I do. <laughs> I said, but I only have $300. Yeah. He goes, that's enough. Yeah, so, cool. Mm-hmm. Mom looked at him. She didn't know where he got the money. Yeah, well, he'd been working hard, too. Yeah. yeah There's a lot of overtime out there in the oil fields. Um, that's a cool car. That So... Your car, like you were kind of, you loved your cars. I did. Yeah. So from the Ford Fairlane, where'd you go next? Malibu Super Sport. Yeah, now Ooh. we're talking. <laughs> two door, four door, two door hard top. Yeah. White, black yeah. leather interior, bucket seats. Yeah. Yep, that was the car. That was a good car. 
Yeah, we should still own that car. We should drive that <laughs> yeah, car. That, that car yep. should be in the driveway right now. I totally agree. And then after that? Oh, my gosh. After that was a 69 Roadrunner. Yeah. <laughs> 389, four-carb, yeah. zero to 100 and five tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where when you buy a Roadrunner and you're you know 20 whatever oh 22 gosh. years old you find out that there's a difference between a speeding ticket and an exhibition of speed yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a difference yeah my dad when big. you get from when you get from costa mesa to bakersfield in an hour and a half <laughs> you went too fast yeah <laughs> yeah yep. yep that's true yeah so um so after high school what was your plan well after high school, I went to Bakersfield Junior College and I sang in a choir and, and created and joined a, I started a barbershop quartet. Okay. Had no really college plans. My parents weren't educators. They didn't really consider college at all because they never went. Yeah. So I just didn't really have a major plan. Thought I'd go to college and figure out what I wanted to do after that. And then I got a job with Safeway, started climbing the corporate ladder with Safeway and um, didn't really have plans for college. And you've you've mentioned many times, like, had life gone another way, you were happy at Safeway. Like, you could have made a career out of out of being at Safeway in Bakersfield. And yeah, but like you say, life in the rearview mirror—that would have been such a mistake for me mm. because uh, Fran never lived in Bakersfield, right? You know, so that would have been horrible. So, yeah. but, but you like a good day's work. Like you, you didn't you didn't and have, it was clean. You yeah. know, I worked farm labor. You come home from farm labor, you're dirty, hot to bottom, and yeah. and. Uh, Safeway was a shirt and tie and air conditioned building, mm. and it was it was clean. Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed it. Did you work at the one in Oildale? I did. On that, I, I forget what is that road because you you leave Oildale and then you get to the height of like the most important store that's ever existed in the history of the world, Floyd's. Floyd's is on Chester Avenue. Chester, there you go. And Floyd's, that's the best store in the world. Floyd's is a great store. They got a little bit of everything. It's yep. been there forever, and uh, it's a great store to go that, through. It, it's an army. It started as an army navy. Sur when I was a kid, it was just army navy surplus. And I mean, you were getting like actual like German backpacks, and, mm. like like legit. You were getting shovels that our men and women dug. That's right, trenches, trenches yeah. with, and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it was real stuff. Yeah, and um, now it's huge and sells camping gear and whatever but motorhomes yeah. all that stuff i remember floyd's being a highlight of visiting bakersfield when I was it was your dad your grandfather's favorite store oh me and uncle steve could right now me and uncle steve could meet at floyd's and spend five hours in there yeah you could <laughs> that was our jam <laughs> yep you could right on so um so you didn't end up in bakersfield what happens what happens next um, while I was at Safeway, I met a guy in our barbershop quartet. His name was Lyle Countryman. His dad was a pastor in the area. Mm -hmm. And he bet us $100, Simply God Pastor, bet us $100 yeah. to enter a vocal music contest in Long Beach. Okay. So $100 in 1966, 67. Yeah. Uh, I thought, wow, win this thing. I could put mags on my Malibu. <laughs> yeah. <or this."> yeah. <laughs> so we entered the contest and we won. Yeah, we won the vocal uh, duet division, the vocal group division. Uh -huh. I won the solo division, and the guy paid me a hundred bucks. But after it was all over, this gentleman came up to us and said, "Hey, I'd like to offer you guys a full ride scholarship uh, to college." Yeah, I looked at him and said, "You're out of your mind. I'm yeah. not. 
I have no desire to go to college. I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to put mags <laughs> yeah, in my car. We're done. We're done. And he said, "Well, you'll you'll sing, you'll cut albums, you'll travel the United States representing the college." Uh, so what do you think? And I said, "Where is this school?" So we went down and visited the school, uh, met the dean of admissions and all that stuff, and we decided to try it. So and what school was it? Southern California College. It's now called Vanguard University. Yep. Hmm. In Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa, student body of 500. Mm. Uh, I don't know what they have now. but uh, Yeah, I don't know either. I also went to Vanguard, uh, Southern California College, and I think there were 800 residential students when I was there. And it was really small, like you couldn't grow much. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful campus that shares the land with the Costa Mesa Police Department right across from the Orange County Fair. Um, but I think they've just done, they've just figured out ways to expand and expand. I think they... I don't know how many thousands of, and they've, they've done so much as has every university with online stuff. That Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I've only been back one time since I got out. and um, Well, you did some building on the campus. I built a, a four-story dorm there, yeah. yeah. But I, uh, I haven't been back since the dorm. One time when they asked me to come back and sing for a class reunion, I went back and sang. Well, that, you were, you that were there for fun. that. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I typically don't do class reunions. So you are in Bakersfield, you go to Costa Mesa, and you go, oh my gosh, it's 70 degrees here. <laughs> well, the first time I went down to Newport Beach and saw the ocean. Yeah. And I went to a phone booth and called my dad Collect, and I said, Dad, I love you, but I don't think I'm ever living in Bakersfield again. <laughs> yeah. I just fell in love with the ocean. Yeah. First time I'd ever really seen it. And Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. and it include Newport, but Costa Mesa is a special little chestnut in orange county it's it's a really cool place it's a nice community it is as you know i lived there for when we first got married for four or five years and yeah costa mesa's got the little bit of ocean breeze but it's not like the newport beach like exactly beach or huntington kind of stuff it's yeah it's It's a nice little community yep a lot of local only kind of places restaurants and whatever well i we during college you don't think of that kind of thing you Right. You know, you eat on campus and you go to your There was dorm. that one breakfast spot. I don't remember what it was called, but on Newport Boulevard. Yeah. Um, Gosh, what was that called? Boy, yeah. I can't remember. There were but a couple still, spots. It's still there. So um, so you see the ocean. Somebody's saying, hey, we'll pay for you to go to college. So you went. Created a group called the Regents. Yeah. Um, male trio. And we traveled and sang through Oregon, Washington, Utah, Nevada, California. Our, our area was the western United States for the college, and so we traveled 17, 18 weeks every summer. So we had our own you know, sound system. They gave us a car. Mm-hmm. We traveled with a supervisor who did the teaching. Rick Schultz oh, was his name. Okay. So he, he did the teaching, we did the singing. and. So were you going to like Assemblies of God churches and then camps and that sort of thing? We went to Assembly of God churches. We went to church group conventions. Uh-huh. Uh, we sang for as, up to as many as 10,000 people in one setting yeah. many times. And so it's when several churches and groups get together. And then we were counselors at youth camps two weeks out of every summer. Okay. So Did you enjoy that? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I I taught kids things other than spiritual growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, I mean, teenage boys are a lot of fun. They, had, it is know, a lot of fun. And when yeah, you're yeah. twenty, when you're twenty two, twenty three years old, yeah, you just think, oh, I can have fun with this, and we had a great time, and had the opportunity to lead several of them to the Lord, which was neat through just having fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was great. So, what'd you major in? I majored in psychology with a minor in theology. Yeah, and. Um, 
did, but that was, was that like, wow, I really want to study this stuff. Or was that like, well, I got a major in something. Cause what I want to do is sing. Which I, I thought I could teach, you know, psychology was interesting because people are interesting. Yep. Along with weird. And so yeah, it's noticed. uh yeah. So, and I always thought the word was intriguing mm-hmm. and I thought the two tied together. Mm-hmm. If you know the word and you know people, you can teach them and work them out of their issues. So I, I really thought I could teach in a classroom someday. Mm-hmm. And then, so you're singing, you're going to school, hanging out with Gordon Fee, we should say. Playing basketball with Gordon Fee. Playing basketball with Gordon Fee. Good outside shot, Gordon. Had. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Huh. But, boy, he was brutal inside. The, he was <laughs> Throwing elbow. elbows? Oh, man, he was brutal inside. <laughs> That's good to know as you're reading Gordon Fee commentaries to go, oh, this dude will throw an elbow. <laughs> I don't know if he will these days, but he did then. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, good man. Um... And so then you get out of school. You graduated from high school at what? Graduated from high school in 65. 65. So College in 72. 72. Um, music is super important to you. What are you listening to in this this time? Is it still the Beatles? Or? Oh, I listen to a lot of Beatles. I listen to mostly Gaither gospel. Okay. You know, I still yeah. love Southern gospel. Yeah. It just, it just really is fun music for me to listen to. Uh, I listen to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Uh, I still listen to the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Uh, Be- I remember Three Beach Dog Boys. Night. Yeah, there you go. I remember the Mamas and the Papas being something you were into. Oh, well, this was my first concert I ever saw was Neil Diamond and the Mamas and the Papas in Hollywood Bowl. Come on, Hollywood Bowl, Neil Diamond, the Mamas. Oh, what a what a concert! What year is that? I wonder if that's the Hot August Nights tour. I was my twenty first birthday. Yeah, man. So what year was that? Nineteen oh no, long time ago. Eighteen thirty, I think. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's why I've always been a Neil Diamond fan. You know, those are memories you just... And I'm a Neil Diamond fan, like, by proxy, you know. Uh, and But Neil Diamond, like, he doesn't get his... Like, he wrote the Monkees hits. Like, that dude was a prolific songwriter and wrote a lot of, like, in that kind of pop rock category. Like, he had it going on for a lot of years. And don't fool yourself. Hot August Night's a legit album. It is. Yeah. Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show is my go-to karaoke song. Oh. If, I, if I have to sing something for karaoke, it's Brother Loves Traveling Salvation I Show. I haven't heard that. I'd like to hear that. Oof. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the part where we're having to try to control myself because if it was just me and you in the living room, <laughs> there'd be a concert right now. <laughs> and then we'd say something like, whoop, that's Neil Diamond. <laughs> Well, that guy was a real good singer. He was good at singing. Um, so, so where were we? So you, you get done with you get done with school, and you know I've heard you talk about kind of. And you tell it in a funny way sometimes, but kind of a call away from ministry. Like ministry was a kind of an option, and you decided that wasn't for you. Well, yeah, and you know it's it's. It's. Uh, I look back on it, and it was still the right decision. But yeah, it's. Um, I was a youth pastor up in Oregon, <clears throat> and uh, first meeting, my hair was on my shoulders, and I was in my Roadrunner and all this other stuff. And yeah. one of the the head of the board on the church said, "Okay, Larry, well, we're glad to have you. You need to get a haircut and a different car." Why? Yeah. He said, "Well, you need to fit the image." So I, pr- I prayed about it. I thought about it. I went to the senior pastor. His name was Cornwall, a good friend of mine. I said, this isn't going to work. He goes, yeah, I-, I could see that in your eyes. Yeah. So he hugged me, and I came back to California. 
and uh, got my group back together and started singing again. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you know, we just had Michael Hare in uh, a couple of days ago in the mm-hmm. podcast. And, you know, he went to seminary with no intention of ever being in the ministry, wanted to go to seminary so he had a good foundation so he could be right. a lay minister. And I think, and I really see that in you too. Like you, you kind of knew early mm-hmm. on that wasn't how you're going to make your living, but you have just served churches in a lay position with music and with leadership for my whole growing up. Well, that's what it's turned out. You know, when I went back after uh, I turned down that pastorate, I um, got my group back together and we had an opportunity to cut a Christian album for Columbia Records. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were seven of us at the time, four married, three not. Mm-hmm. So you take a vote on, you want to cut this album? Because that means we'd have to travel a lot and sing a lot and that kind of stuff. And uh, if we had four no's and three yeses, yeah. single guys wanted to go and the four guys didn't. And when you don't have a drummer, lead guitar... Um, and this kind of stuff, you got to rebuild it again. I just lost heart in it at that point yeah. in time. And, uh, but I, I look back and say that was God's hand as well. If I'd have been traveling in the United States, maybe I wouldn't have met this most gorgeous lady I've ever met in my life. So yeah. it was God's hand. And you, you were always good at a lot of things. Like, you know, you were not only an uh, excellent baseball player, but you were a very talented umpire. Um, and I'd love for you to, I don't know if we <laughs> I don't know if we can tell. We might both get fired if we start telling umpires. Stories. You can't fire me. I'm not hired. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, but um, but you you were family oriented. Like if, if all of those things that you were good at and interests you had, you were you were really, you know, loved your folks and then loved us. Well, I love my parents and I love you guys. But I almost lost you guys. I don't. You know that story. I mean. Yeah. Dad was dying of cancer, and you were seven years old, and I got an emergency call that Dad wanted to see me in the hospital. The doctors told him he wouldn't uh, have a voice for very much longer, yep. and he had to talk to me. I yep. thought, oh, i got to get over there because he's going to tell me to take care of Mom. I had the speech all prepared. Yeah. So I hustled to Ventura, and uh, your grandfather looked at me and said, I'm going to tell you something. And you guys went with me. Your mother, we you mm-hmm. shoved you guys in the van, and we headed over there. And Dad said... Um, Larry, you've always driven your own ship. You've always driven your own car. You've always done things your way. And if you don't change, you're going to lose Fran and the kids. Hmm. So it was a long, that's the cliff note version of the conversation. Yeah. He told me how hard-headed I was and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So on the way home, I told your mom, I said, hey, look, we, I got to call the doctor because the drugs are making dad hallucinate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still didn't believe him. Yeah. And when your mother started crying, she goes, if I didn't love you so much, the kids and I would already be... Mm thinking about something else and I said holy smoke and I didn't even see it yeah I was so focused on my career I thought my job was to put clothes on your back roof over your head cars to drive uh so I walked in the next day and resigned from my management position and mm. went to work for a contractor and started coaching little league and mm. went to now brown- we're talking brownie meetings and taking <laughs> your mom out on dates and so it took my dad's death and his nerve to yeah, I, I thought about when he said that. It was just like that boxing thing yeah, in the backyard. Yeah, Just he finally had to put me in my place before the Lord took him home. Well, and and that was that was Grandpa right. He wasn't going to be an in your face all the time guy, but he's no. like E. F. Hutton when he when he said what was on his mind. It was important. Best man I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, last thing he ever said uh, before he lost his voice was my name. That's right. I remember this. He so says, hey, Bumper. Take that, 
cousins. Says, hey, Bumper. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, Bumper. That's right. That's you and me. Dad used to go on walks like four in the morning. Yeah. When you he would get up early and he'd get up early when yeah. we'd visit him in Ventura. I'd look for the both of you. You guys be out You're walking. Just gone. You're just just gone. walking the yeah. neighborhood. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Then trying to get me to drink buttermilk. Um, (laughs) which I'm totally doing for my grandkids. Um, so where are we in the story? So you, after college, you, and the ministry thing was like, you decided that's not how God wants me to serve. So you started working in the trades, started working for a concrete guy. Yeah. I started working for a general build after college. I started running a ready mix plant. There you go. You know, so, uh, but the, the key to the whole story is, and I've always told you this. The two most important decisions you'll ever make in your life are whether you follow Jesus or not yeah, and who you marry. yeah. And so during that whole process, I sang in the church where a friend was attending and met her. And that's the that's why all of this other stuff didn't happen, yeah. you know, because without her, my life would be useless. Yeah. So um, it all has a reason. Yeah. So the, we didn't we didn't sing the album for we didn't travel for Columbia Records. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. Because the Lord says, you know, I have this lady for you, and I'm going to send you her way in spite of your opinions and all that stuff. So yeah. I wouldn't have met her otherwise. You met mom like 1971? Something like that? You know, something yeah, like that. Married in, married in 72. 72, yeah. Yep. Um, how'd you guys meet? So you were singing, <laughs> you were singing at Colonial Bible Church? Singing at Colonial Bible Church. I took the regents to sing a concert at Colonial Bible Church. And um, I didn't even know she was there. Mm-hmm. In fact, she wasn't. She was watching the kids. She was in the nursery watching kids. She didn't even hear us sing. That's the awesome part, right? Is that you're like the star of the show, but she's not even there to see that. She's not yeah. interested in that. Yeah. She was She was doing like she always does. She was serving. serving. Yeah. yeah. She's a servant. Yeah. So she was taking care of the kids. Um, and then she went out with me because the pastor wouldn't shut up. Mm. Butch Plummer was our pastor. And he goes, look. You guys need to go out. You guys need to go out. So we did. We went out. And at the end of the date, we shook hands and said, let's don't ever do this again. <laughs> and so 47 years later, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that story. At, a, at first date's an angel game. Yeah. Can that, you believe she did cr- like... Yeah. No, that sounds like the perfect... Lock this thing down, take it to a ball game. That's it didn't right. work. That was probably because you're a Dodger fan. She's an Angel fan. That was hard. No, she tells the story, and she tells it best. She yeah. thought I was a young, stuck-up guy, hung up on my voice, hung up on my group, and all I wanted to do was sing. And I thought she was this young, Bible-preaching lady that all yeah. she did was talk Jesus. And we were both right. Both right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just took you a minute to figure yeah, out that's exactly what you are looking for. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but I'm sure glad I tried again. And then family mm-hmm. uh, started pretty quick. I, you, I was born in 1973 and then uh, I have a kid sister, Amanda. And then what did young family life look like? It was great. Yeah. You know, I, I look, once my dad got my head squared away, it was great. We, yeah. uh, I, I think we had a great home. We had a, we were always provided for and God always provided work. And of course you had the, you were <laughs> home with mom, we we decided she wanted to be home with you, and so she was home with you and Amanda, and it worked out great for us. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, like, being a contractor in Orange County is, uh, those there's big ladders to climb. There's a lot of, like, prestige and big projects. And so what was what was your career path like? I had kind of two phases. Once I went to work for this construction company, within a year, 
I was their top project manager. So mm-hmm. I was running all their high-rise buildings and that kind of stuff. And then I left them to become vice president of construction for another company. Mm-hmm. And that company was Newport Beach-based. Mm-hmm. So we had access to our own private plane, uh, chauffeurs, whatever we wanted. If we were going to build a building for someone and they like golf, uh, I'd fly them up to Pebble Beach and we'd play golf, mm-hmm. talk about buildings, that kind of thing. And when all that stopped, uh, our house burned, mm-hmm. as you know. Yeah. And then out of our house burned, Fran and I developed a construction company of rebuilding people's homes after they burn. And we mm-hmm. did that for like 30 years. Yeah. And kind of still making taking advantage of that experience. What do you mean? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. doing inspections and stuff now. It's like oh. those are all skills that you learned. Yeah. Building a home and putting numbers on the home is like second nature to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're doing that now. The doctor said we have to keep our brains active. So, mm-hmm. fortunately, we still have a brain to be is active. Is this your brain active? You should see it in a recession. <laughs> That's terrifying, Bob. Recession is just terrible. <laughs> this so, is a good sign. <laughs> so um, I do have Patrick. such, <laughs> I do have such, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have such fond memories of growing up and and uh, especially connecting over over baseball and um, waiting for you to get home with uh, you know throwing the ball up in the yard and and waiting for you to get home to play catch and all that stuff. It was fun. Great times on the on the field, at the stadium. We went to a lot of Angel games. We did. A lot of them. We How many did. do you think we went to a year? I would say probably, what do you think, 50? That's what I always tell people, yeah. 50. I think I probably think 50 a 50. year. As long as you did your homework, we could go. And sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we did the homework <laughs> yeah. as you're keeping score. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that was a great way to connect with each other, though. I, well, we both love the game. Yeah. I don't think I forced it on you. You were two days old no. when I bought you your first baseball glove. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was offered. Yeah. You can't force a kid to like it, but it was no, offered. No, no. You said thank you. And, the, and then really church leadership was a big part of that season of your life, too. It wasn't all career and no church. Like, you were always leading elder boards. and. Well, you know, I always felt like that, I, although God never... I don't think I was called a pastor because I was told that all my young life was, mm-hmm. was wrong. Mm. But uh, but churches need backbone, too. Churches yeah, need right. structure. They need lay people who hang in there. And I'm, they need people who write checks. They need people who serve. They need, so I always felt like that was our call. And if you're not, if it's comfortable enough to, to talk about, like I've mentioned it from the pulpit a lot of times when I was 12 years old, our pastor cheated on his wife. And you were, and that was, I mean, even as a 12-year-old, that was terrible. Like, that was the mo- one of the most painful things maybe a church could go through. I think it would it'd be easier if the pastor died on a church than uh, uh, that kind of event happening. And you were the chairman of the elder board. What was that like? Like, It was a tough time. Um, I begged him to be restored. I begged him. We had a program laid out where he could go for healing. Yeah. And we'd bring in temporary speakers. It would take him six months to go through the process. He could be restored with his wife again. Uh, we wanted him whole. That's what the church is about. Yeah. The church isn't a place where the wounded should get shot. Yeah. The, per- the church is a place where the wounded should have healing. Yeah. And so we wanted that to happen for him, but he refused it. Yeah. So I fired him. Yeah. And so um, that was after you know three weeks of talking to him. So I just yeah. fired him. And the church of 500 went to 150 within three weeks. Overnight, yeah. Yeah, so it was a tough time. Got threatening letters, death threats, and that kind of thing. And you were, at that point, you were keeping office hours at church, just kind of trying to do your full-time 
executive at a construction company and also trying to be the executive of the church, trying to just keep the doors open and do all the things that have to happen. We felt God called us there, and yeah. we felt that was a body worth hanging in there, and we didn't think that his sin could not become our sin. Yeah. You know, so um, it was all about serving the Lord, and we felt like that community needed that church. And so Fran and I and about six or seven other families hung in there. Yeah. And um, God honored that. Well, it taught me a lot. You know, I remember, obviously, as a junior hire, I wasn't privy to all the gory details. But also, when you're a junior hire and you're not privy to all the, the gory details, you just have a lot of questions. Like, what exactly is going on right now? And mm -hmm. and I know something bad's happening. And that was really kind of my experience. And, and um, just watching you be faithful in the middle of that, and I, I, that was super impactful to me. And I do think, you know, uh, that that your leadership was really, really meaningful to a lot of people then. Well, I appreciate that. Now, we probably should have done a better job of explaining to you, but when you're in the heat of the battle, and, yeah. it's, you just sometimes you don't think enough. Well, and it's, that's a weird age. A five-year-old has no idea what's going on. A 16-year-old, you can sit down and go, okay, dude, here's what happened. A 12-year-old, it's hard to know how, how much is too much information to to give and all of that. That's yeah. true. Um, and mom was always real active with kids' choir stuff. and. Oh, yeah. She had kids' choirs up to 40 voices at one time. I don't want to brag, but I was Salty the Singing Songbook. Yes. Yeah, would... when mom comes in, we probably should talk Salty for a while. Oh, she'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> you were a good songbook. Yeah. No, during her Christmas and during her kids' choir stuff, I mean, I had two carpenters out of my construction yeah. company with her the entire time to build <laughs> I sets. I remember and, that, Oh, yeah. my gosh. Guys had to meet up. with a fire department so that we could slide this guy down the center yeah. from the balcony <laughs> down to the <laughs> yeah. stage. Oh, yeah, they were phenomenal productions. And there was something special about that church, too, um, and really after the crisis. Uh, how do you say that? Like it pared down and then it kind of grew in a, a little bit different way after that. And, and just very, um, avant-garde's not the, not the right word, but like kind of the first church we knew that had got rid of the organ and had a drum kit. And well, that was another interesting scenario. Cause you know, when a guy by the name of Doug accepted the Lord, got off of drugs and all that stuff, great drummer. Yeah. And he wanted to play his drums in church. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we had a bunch of old people like me and the rest of the old people here that said, oh, no, drums yeah. in church, that's a sin. But <laughs> I was all for it. Yeah. And so we had a meeting one night. The elders had a meeting. Meeting started at 6 o'clock. Yeah. 12 o'clock, we're still talking about this poor kid. About drums. And, yeah. Yeah. So finally, one of the guys, his name was Frank, he was an attorney. Um, he said, you know, Larry, I think what I do is just shoot the kid. <laughs> you know, he's, he wants to serve the Lord, and we have a church that doesn't want people to serve the Lord, so let's just shoot him, put him out of his misery. <laughs> and one of the other guys said, what? Said, well, he, this kid wants to serve, and we're not letting him serve. Yeah. Changed the whole dynamic of the meeting. <laughs> I, I asked Frank, why didn't you say that at 6.30? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, Doug, we put uh, we put uh, plexiglass around oh, him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, remember that? Yeah. Plexiglass around him. He only played with the drums. But if you were in worship service and you watched anybody worship, him, he on the drums, which is phenomenal. Yeah, he was great. Great drummer. Yeah, great drummer. Great guy. Um, and great choir there, too. Yeah, Tim Ellis was our vocal music director, and yeah. we had a 40 to 50 voice choir most of the time. We traveled to different churches and that kind of stuff, so it was a very active church, yeah. Yeah, it was a good church to grow up in. One of the one of the highlights of like me kind of moving from high schooler to grown-up was just, first of all, there was a really good men's group there. 
one that you and I talk about, man, God, could we have something like that at Lighthouse someday? Right. Um, and they really had their eye on coming and getting me, right? Like not like making me go to them right. and go like act like a 50 year old, but rather like befriending me, inviting me to prayer, um, t- you know, making sure I was invited and coming on the, the men's retreat. Although I think part of that was because they wanted to be good at sports in the men's retreat. And they knew if me and my buddies came, we'd win all. <laughs> well, I think, I, yeah, I think some of the guys thought you might be small and weak and they were going to take you over, but they didn't know how well you could play. Yeah, no, you're not getting a rebound. But you know, that's, that's uh, we, we taught in that men's group, just like we're, we should be teaching here at lighthouse. And that's, you know what, you know what the elder generation's number one job is to replace himself in ministry. Yeah. If the church is going to survive as we bring young people behind us to do what we've done for all these years. Yeah. And so men's group and inviting young people and teenagers to men's group, we don't do that enough here. We need to start that. Yeah. But uh, getting them involved in what men do and teaching them what godly men are like is huge. Just having pictures. It's like teaching is part of it. But just like that I had Russ Stratton to just to see what kind of guy he was, you know, people like Roger Royster, these like young married people, and then also some grandpa age folks too, but that were just my friends and, and let me just kind of see their life. And right. that was, I mean, it was just, it made all the difference for me when I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And as I was, you know, I mean, every generation kind of does this, I guess, but as I was growing a bunch of hair and starting a punk band and whatever, like it wasn't, there was no like, Hey, we don't do that around here, but it was always like, Hey, When's the show? <laughs> you know, we'll I look, come and support you. And I look back to that night to one in the morning about the drummer. That yeah, that started opening people to uh, really accepting people who had different talents to come into the church. Yeah, that's where you want it. You don't want their godly talents used outside the church. You want it used inside the church. Yeah. And then we had then we had guitars and we had drums and we had it yeah. was it just opened up the entire worship scenario. So we haven't talked enough about Amanda, and I know you and Amanda connected a lot when we were kids, too, and kind of you and I connected. I was the, it's ironic how things turn out, like I was the non-musical Combs growing up, but I loved music, and somehow in adulthood I like found the guitar, and, and it was a gateway to music for me, but Amanda's got a voice like yours, and you guys really kind of connected over that growing up. We did a lot of duets yeah. when she was in high school and junior high. and yeah. yeah, both at school and in church. Yeah, we sang a lot together. Yeah. But your talent is more earned than ours. Ours was a <laughs> God-given thing, and you worked real hard at yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I tell everybody the story about that night, those nights in the garage where you got a guitar and you played the one chord like <laughs> 5,000 times. Uh, but out of that, you worked yeah, hard. You're self-taught. You learn, yeah. I, I admire your music effort. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, and Amanda has a wonderful family and is walking with the Lord and yeah you know it's interesting how it all happens like you never missed a curfew and Amanda never made one (laughs) and so uh, this this kid was walked on the edge her entire life and today she is a godly woman a mother of two she's a dean of a private school she's um, very impressive she's got a lot of a lot of credentials that are very impressive that's right yeah and you know I one of the things I there's so many ways that you and I are very different in personality, but um, there's so many ways I want to emulate you. And one of them is just just having your kids walk with the Lord. It just It's the whole game. Like what you're talking about at church, like that's our job at church is to bring the next generation along. 
man, if I want anything out of my life, I want the my four Combs kids and Amanda's too um, to to be walking with the Lord, and that's cool. You got to have the right examples. You yeah. know, it's um, they have to be in a church that complements your family structure, mm. and your family structure has to be solid. Mom and dad have to be. Mm-hmm. together and they have to be in agreement for the kids to buy into it so yeah it's important yeah and you I don't know, you have always really liked mom <laughs> you guys have always you know been a a neat team again not very much alike in personality but that's always been fun for me to watch do you remember we we're watching i think nfl films one time and some football player was like hey the best thing you can do for your kids is love their mother and I remember you kind of going, yep, that's it right there. That's right. The best thing you can do for your kids is take care of their mom. Yeah. But who wouldn't like Fran? I mean, she's the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's neat. And it's uh, when you marry the nicest person you've ever met in your life, you just got to do your job to not <laughs> don't upset screw it that up, one. Dummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you don't do it. But we've talked about it a lot. I mean, the respect we have for each other, respect is what's kept us together. Yeah. You know, we just, um, we're best friends. Yeah. We're together 24-7 almost now, and there's not a day goes by we don't laugh and have a good time. It's uh, it, She's just a neat person. Yeah, that's cool. She's uh, she's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in on mom. Yeah. You are. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> hey, I always say, if you have a mom like mine and you're not a mama's boy, something's wrong with you. You got to know which <laughs> side of the bread's buttered. It's called... Dummy. Yeah, that's right. No, that's true. I mean, you, if you have a mom, if you have, if you have a mom that loves you, you need to yeah. recognize Honor that. Honor mom and love mom. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. Um, so, are you hopeful for the future? There's not much future left. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, we're, Don't we're, tell me that, Dad. <laughs> well, the best days are behind us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, it's uh, uh, you learn it's we're 72 now, so I lost my dad when he was 60. So yeah. I feel blessed that I've had 12 years of watching the kids grow up and being around you and Amanda, and then Fran and I are both semi healthy. And so it, we'll, we'll see, it's a day at a time, and I'm really learning more and more that today's joys are today's joys, and mm. don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but you need to enjoy the day you have. Yeah, uh, I can remember. My 60th birthday, I uh, I said, okay, I lost dad at this age. Yeah, Today's a blessing. And so I've really felt that way ever since. Yeah. So am I hopeful about the future? Absolutely, because our future is to be with him. And that's that's our ultimate hope. There it is. Uh, like you, t- you asked me one time, are you afraid of dying? No, I'm not. The process is a little concerning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah. And, you know, we have more doctor's appointments today than we have. Yeah tv time it's yeah. just amazing yeah so things are going to happen and we're going to go to the doctor sometime and we're going to hear news that we don't want to hear but the key is do we know who the lord is and he'll be god in those times just like he's god in these times so yeah, yeah i'm hopeful of the future because my ultimate future is to be with him yeah amen so amen. yeah that future sounds good well pop yeah. thank you very much for coming in you know the the one word that i remember growing up you talking about over and over and over was the word integrity like encouraging me to have integrity and pointing out when my actions lacked integrity <laughs> and um you know you didn't just say it you modeled it and i'm i'm lucky to have you and i appreciate recording the story and and uh thanks thanks for coming in and being a guest on the podcast and thanks for being my dad 
You're welcome. Right. I realize I'm your mother's substitute. She was supposed to be here today, but we'll, uh, she's sending somebody to jail, I guess, in a court case or something. Yeah, she's on a jury right now. Yeah, she is. Mom always gets... Look, I, I think this might be all you need to know about your personality and mom's personality. You've never gotten picked for a jury. Nor will and I. And mom always gets picked for the jury. <laughs> Nor will I. Yeah. Well, you know, like you said, we're different. She likes the ballet and the theater, and yeah. I like the ballpark and a hot dog. So yeah. we're just different. <laughs> yeah. And, she, and, and somebody asks you what you think about a, a jury thing, and you're like, I think the idiot should go to jail. No, and they say, I didn't Mr. Say Combs, that. thank you very much for your time. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I just said, we are here over these idiots doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they let me go. Thank you, Mr. Combs. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Combs. We can, ex <laughs> we can excuse is... juror number 375. <laughs> yeah, where mom is empathetically crying. She's on the front row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Well, thank, thanks for coming in. I love My you. pleasure. All I love right. you, too. I'll talk right. to you soon. Bye. Bye, bye. All right, Lighthouse. Have a great uh, well, Friday. It's Friday. Have a great Friday, great weekend, and we will talk to you soon.